For thousands of years, we've been under the impression that the Bible was intended to be taken seriously. Finally, a new translation that changes all of that. This is Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible! Welcome to episode 9 of Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible! With me... David Tuckman, we're coming to you live from New York City's Double Wide Bar. In each episode of this monthly podcast, a special guest joins me and tries to read my own personal translation of the Old Testament from the original Hebrew while I make fun of it. Today is Monday, June 17th. This is episode 9. Uh, it is my birthday. We're all celebrating. We're in a new venue. It's a different venue, so if it sounds a little different, if it sounds weird, it's because we're not used to recording here, so all the things that we learned over at the Parkside Lounge are totally gone and we have to learn a whole new way of figuring out how to make this sound good. It's at a new time. It's a little earlier. We have brochures here. We have stickers here. I have a really exciting announcement to make. I don't know if you've been following the blog or on Facebook, but uh, as of this past weekend, I have finished translating Genesis. So I <laughs> translating the first book of the Bible, which I'm really excited about. Also, in this episode, um, I've noticed that you know, each each episode up to this one, the episode has been an entire chapter. So I've determined the chapters of this text based on how long an episode is and how much I think I can fit into an episode. That's a really arbitrary, which is fine because the original chapter divisions are totally arbitrary too, but I feel like it does a bit of a disservice to the text. And I think that... If I'm going to make chapter divisions, I want them to be true to the narrative, to help the narrative along. That's why starting this month with episode 9, we have brand new chapter divisions throughout. So chapters can be really short, they can be really long, and each episode, we might not read one chapter. We might read a piece of a chapter, or we might read five, depending on how much time it is. So brand new chapters, that's something new for this episode. From now on, instead of being named chapter 6, chapter seven chapter eight as the episodes have been named up to this point it's episode nine and episode nine contains chapters nine to who knows we'll see this also means that i have no idea what's going to get done in each episode so we might finish this a lot earlier than i thought hi there david tuckman here i'm about to introduce the guest but before i do i wanted to apologize for what's about to happen to the audio in this episode before the show, John Passaro and I did a sound check in order to minimize the background noise. I think you'll agree he did a pretty good job up to this point. Unfortunately, we had not prepared for the noise to get as loud as it did later on. We did all we could to fix it, and it sounds a lot better than it did when we originally pulled the recording off of my device. Regardless, I wanted to apologize to you, the listener, for what you're going to hear and let you know that John and I have learned from what happened this month and are going to make sure this never happens again no matter where this show is performed. Anyway, sorry to lower expectations because you're about to hear an excellent episode. Enjoy! Anyway, are you guys ready for your guest? Yeah! <laughs> he is my cousin. Uh, please welcome to the stage, Jed Oba! Jed, how you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Yeah? I just flew in and boy are my arms tired. <laughs> uh, how you liking the new venue? Pretty good. It's Got some tater tots. They're good. excellent. Yes, there's no food at the Parkside Lounge. It's a big change. There's finally food here at Double Wide. 
Are you enjoying the tater tots? They're quite good, David. Cool. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, I'm about five foot eleven, uh, 155 pounds. Cool. Uh, What's your? Have you ever read this entire thing before? Uh, the, the, Bible? the Bible itself, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We both, as you know, grew up in Orthodox families, and yeah. uh, you're forced to have some sort of uh, basic knowledge of the Bible. Um, I never read the whole thing. Never? No, never. This is the first time. I've never, never read it. continuously or never? never? I mean, there are whole chunks of it that I know I've never read. And I have no idea what's in there. That we never got to in class. For some reason, it just wasn't important. The Pentateuch or the, the prophets and the kings? And the, not the Tanakh, the entire thing. Okay. The Old Testament. Yeah. You know, the, the Pentateuch is read every year in the Orthodox sure. calendar. So I've at least heard it read, maybe in Hebrew. Um, do you have a favorite story? No. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's a good answer. Is there what 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 if I asked you about the Torah, if I asked you to describe it, how would you describe it in like a sentence or less? How would I describe the, the entirety of it? The entirety of it, yeah. It's very uh, biblical. <laughs> good answer, I guess. Very good. Um, I guess the other question uh, that I have before we get to this, um, what's your relationship like with the Torah or with Judaism in general? And you can answer this or not, however you like. Just so that we get an idea of where you're coming from as you read this. Oh, well, I grew up in a fairly religious family and uh, I've explored other ways of living since then. Okay. Uh, other than the one that I was born with. I do have a... Cultural connection that uh, persists with uh, the religion and by you know the source material as well. So it's not something you read every day. The Bible. No. Yes. No, it is not something I read every day. Okay. It's something I probably think about at least once a day. Okay. Cool. Um, and I have one last question. This is something that I ask all my guests. Um, what's your first memory of me? Of you. Really, baby pictures, I don't know. <laughs> okay. You're a very bald baby, David. I know. I, I've seen the pictures. I think my first memory of you is, I remember, or my earliest memory that I can think of as you, is we were cousins. I remember when I was two years old, we were playing with little dinosaur toys. And um, I put my thumb in the mouth of one, or my index finger in the mouth of one, and I tried to pull it out, and my finger broke. And I had to be taken to a doctor. This was like on some holiday where our entire family was together. And I remember everyone blamed you for breaking my finger. That wasn't the only time I think I was blamed for injury. Yeah, here. and somehow you were always... I, I also broke my collarbone once and you I were recall, blamed for it. Yes. And I remember sticking up for you, but people, everyone thought that it was your fault somehow. I was the bad kid. That was you like were. my role. <laughs> so I just, had, just a, had to play it even if I wasn't guilty. You broke our bones somehow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> are you ready? All right. Are you guys ready to, to get it right into this reading? We're going to start with chapter nine. Okay. 
Now, before we start, um, this is something that I instituted last month. I've realized that it might be a little confusing to just just jump right in. So, I'm going to let you know what happened last episode. Previously, in the Bible, Avraham banished one of his sons and almost killed the other. So that puts us where we are for the beginning of chapter nine. Now, Jed, are you ready? I'm ready. Awesome. This is Torah, a loose translation, in the beginning, 9, in which somebody reports a bunch of birth announcements to Avraham. And after that shit went down, someone said this to Avraham. Behold, Milcah gave your brother Nachor children, Uts, the eldest, followed by Booz. Booz, commemorated by the stuff we're drinking tonight. Kmuel, the father of Avra, of Aram, rather, Kesher, Chazo, Pildash, Yidlaf, and Betuel. Betuel begat Rivka. These are the eight kids Milka bore Nahor, the brother of Avraham. Um, guy who doesn't have a name. I think Avraham knows what his brother's name is. Also, Ryuma, Nahor's mistress, birthed Tevach, Gacham, Tachach, and Machacha. Maha, 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 maha. Makaka. <laughs> That's Racist. a slur. I'm sorry. That's chapter nine. <laughs> Woo! All right, done. This is ten, in which Abraham negotiates the price of a gravesite. Sarah's life lasted 127 years. Those are the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah was in Kiryat Arba when she died. This is Hebron in Canaan, and Avraham came to eulogize her and to cry about her. First of all, um, it's kind of a bummer that we heard all about Nahor's 12 kids, but don't get to see any of Avraham's eulogy for Sarah, which I imagine was really sweet and touching. It's also a bummer that Sarah died like off camera. We don't even see it happen. Also, the last time we saw Avraham, he had returned to Be'er Sheva, which is about 40 miles away from Hebron, where Sarah died. What was Sarah doing uh, a 13-hour walk, according to Google Maps, away from Avraham? Nobody knows. There's no commentary that I could find on this, but I didn't do that much research. It's possible. My theory is that the couple was having some issues because Avraham tried to murder Sarah's only child, but who knows? <laughs> Avraham rose from atop his dead and spoke to the sons of Chet. I am only a stranger dwelling amongst you, he said. Give me a burial site among yours so I can bury my dead lady. We have heard you, our master, the sons of Chet answered. You are the president of God in our group. The word here is Nasi, which translates as elect of God, but Nasi is also what Israel calls its president. I called Avraham the president of God because it sounds like Avraham works for a really, really strange company. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. No man amongst us shall withhold his plot if you wish to bury your dead there. Avraham rose and bowed to the nation of the land and to the sons of Chet. He bowed to the entire nation, and it took forever. <laughs> if you really want me to bury my dead, Avraham said, listen to me and get me an inn with Ephron, son of Tzohar. Give me the cave of Machpelah, which is in the middle of his field. Have him give it to me at full price so I can make use of it as a tomb in your midst. Seriously, Avraham? Full price? This is the first business transaction in the Tanakh, and Avraham is doing a really bad job doing the first Jew. <laughs> Never pay full price. Never pay full price, Avraham. Now Ephron lived amongst the sons of Chet, and when he answered Avraham, all the sons of Chet and everyone who passed through the gate of his city heard it. It was really annoying and loud. 
<laughs> no, my lord, Ephron said. Listen to me. I'll give the field to you, along with a cave within it, before my eyes of my countrymen. Bury your dead. Avraham bowed before the people of his land. If you would only listen to me, Avraham said, to the entire, so the entire country could hear, I will pay the price of the land. Please take my money from me and bury my dead there. Hear me, my master, Ephron said. The land is worth 400 shekels. What is that between you and me? Your dead shall be no, buried. No, seriously, what is 400 shekels? Nobody knows. It's like 90 bucks? Yeah, well, now, yeah, it's 100 bucks now, but back then, it be like a penny. Avram listened to Ephron. He waited out the price. The entire nation heard them agree on. 400 shekels of silver, according to the merchant's weights. Ephron was probably a really boring place if everyone's idea of his fun was watching two men argue over the price of a grave. <laughs> it's like, uh, there are a few reality shows about that, like the Storage Wars. Storage yeah. Wars. <laughs> Avram got Ephron's field that was in Machpelah, across from Memre, the cave within it, and every tree enclosed by the boundaries of the field, before the eyes of the sons of Chet and everyone who passed through the gates of the city. After this, Avram buried his woman Sarah in the cave of the field in Machpelah, facing Memre. This is in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave within it pass into Avram's possession from the sons of Chet. And sparked centuries of bickering between Jews and Muslims over who owns the place. Thanks, Ephron. <laughs> Oh my gosh! So Thanks, Obama. <laughs> okay, that's a, uh, that's chapter ten. <laughs> Sorry for that tangent. Chapter eleven, in which Abraham sexually harasses one of his slaves and sends him on a pussy finding expedition. Now Abraham was pretty old and getting on in years. Jehovah had blessed him in all sorts of ways. Put your hand under my thigh, Avraham said to his most senior slave, who was in charge of Avraham's entire estate. So, put your hand under my thigh is kind of a weird thing to say, right? <laughs> Just wait, okay? Rashi, the medieval commentator who, who has a running commentary throughout this, and who I refer to sometimes when he says weird things, also thinks put your hand under my thigh is a weird thing to say. <laughs> So he talks about it. Avram is about to have this slave swear an oath to him. According to Rashi, when someone swears an oath, they put their hand on something associated with one of God's commandments, like our modern practice of placing your hand on the Bible when taking an oath in court or an oath of office. Since circumcision was the first commandment given directly to Avraham, when he asked his slave to swear to him, he asked him to put his hand on the part of Avraham corresponding to that commandment. His dick. Now, so that's what that means. Swear by Jehovah, God of the sky and God of the earth, that you will not take a woman for my son from the daughters of Canaan, among whom I dwell. Instead, you shall go to my, the land of my birth and take a woman for my son Yitzchak there. Which is weird because um, he's supposed, like this is the land that's being given to them, but he doesn't want his son to touch any of the women from there. Maybe the woman will not want to follow me back to this country, the slave said. Shall I bring your son with me to the land you left? That's a pretty interesting question. What if he finds a worthy woman who does not want to leave her home to live with a strange man she's never met? <laughs> In the Bible, raising that question makes the slave basically a feminist. Watch yourself. Under no circumstances may my son return to that place. The women are great, but the rest of the country is terrible. Yeah. 
<laughs> Yehovah, God of the sky, who took me from my father's home in the land of my birth, and spoke with me, and swore to me that he'd give this, give this country to my offspring, will send a messenger in advance of you. I know we saw all those scenes happen when Yehovah, take God of the sky, takes Abraham from the land of his birth. He still seems like a crazy person when he talks about it. And you will take a woman for my son from there. If the woman doesn't want to follow you back, you are released from this promise. I just don't want my son going back there. The slave put his hand on the dick of Abraham, his master, and swore. He took ten of his master's camels and left. By the way, it'd be really odd. I wish we could still do that in like courts these days. Like if I was getting sworn in in a court, I'd just like ask the judge if I could put my hand under his robe to swear. <laughs> I solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Now turn your head and cough. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. All his master's good stuff was in his hands. I have no idea what good stuff is referring to, so I think it's going to mean weed. Rising, he traveled to Aram, Nacharim, and the city of Nahor. Presumably, this city was named after Abraham's brother, Nahor. The only other Nahor in this book. David here again. I should really know better than make absolute statements off the cuff like that. There are actually two Nahors mentioned so far. First, there's Avraham's brother, who I assume the town was named after. I should really not have done that. It's possible the town was named after the other Nahor, Avraham's grandfather. Same family, though. The slave knelt his camels outside the city, near the well. This character still doesn't have a name yet, by the way. <laughs> the slave. It was evening, the time when the ladies who drew water came out. Uh, translation note. Water is not explicitly stated in the text, but I added the word because it's water. That's what it is. Jehovah, God of my master Avraham, the slave said, grant me success today and be kind to my master Avraham. Here I am approaching a spring of water, and the daughters of men of the town are coming to draw from it. Daughters of men, not daughters of women, because that's how birth works. <laughs> Let the youngin to whom I say, please, tip your pitcher so that I may draw, and who responds, drink. Both you and your camels, be the one you have chosen for your slave Yitzchak. And I will know through her that you have been kind to my master. That was very confusing. There were a lot of quotes in here. The woman who says, drink both you and your camels, will be the one that God has chosen for his slave Yitzchak. And that's what the slave said to God to make this prophecy happen. I don't know. And guess what happens? Yeah. Guess what happens, guys? Behold, <laughs> Rivka emerged with her pitcher on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Betuel, son of Milka, woman of Nahor. Avraham's brother. Nahor is Avraham's brother, right? Nahor hooked up with Milka and made Betuel. Rivka is Betuel's daughter, which means she is Yitzchak's first cousin once removed. Okay, sorry. Just want to clarify. This young lady was incredibly nice to look at and was a virgin. No man had slammed his junk up into her. She went down to the spring, filled her pitcher, and came back up. The slave ran to her. Please, he said, let me sip a bit of water from your pitcher. Drink, my master, Rivka said, and quickly lowered the jug to her hand so he could drink. The slaves finished drinking. Your camels, she said, let me draw for them so they may drink their fill. Oh my god. Just as the prophecy foretold. <laughs> Hastily, Someone she emptied was her nice. pitcher into the trough. 
and ran down to the well to collect water for the slaves' camels. The man marveled at her in silence, wondering whether Jehovah had made him succeed in his quest. When all the camels had drank, the man took out a golden nose ring worth half a shekel and two golden bracelets worth ten shekels. It's very important that the Bible tell you how much these things were worth. Yes. Even though we don't use this currency anymore. Whose daughter are you, the slave asked. Please tell me if there is room in your father's house for me to spend the night. Well, slow down there, dude. I am the daughter of Betuel, the son of Milcah, who was born to Nachar, she told him. We have lots of feed and fodder at home, and we have room for you to sleep. The man fell to the ground and bowed deeply before Jehovah. This was probably very awkward for Rivka, since Jehovah is invisible. <laughs> Jehovah, God of my master Abraham, is blessed, he said. He has not budged in his kindness and faithfulness to my master. I, on the path that Jehovah has shown me, straight to the house of my master's brother. Dude, you went to a city named after your master's brother. It's not like it's a surprise. The girl ran to her mother's house to tell her what had happened. Like, the slave, her mother is not important enough to get a name. Now Rivka had a brother named Lavan. Lavan ran to the man who was outside by the well. When he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's hands and heard the things she claimed, the man said, he went to him. The man was still standing next to his camels by the spring. Come, blessed of Jehovah, Lavan said. Why are you standing outside when I've got the house ready and have a place for your camels? The man went to the house and unmuzzled the camels who were given straw and fodder. He was given water to wash his legs and those of the men who were with him. There were men with him, okay. It was dangerous to travel alone back then. Yeah, thanks for telling us, book. If the slave doesn't warrant a name, certainly the men with the slave don't warrant <laughs> Don't a even name. need to be mentioned, why? They put food in front of him. Uh, there's absolutely no way of knowing who the they who put the food in front of him is, but given the way everything is going, it was probably slaves. I will not eat, the man said, until I have said what I need to. Speak, he said. Again, nobody knows who he is. Probably Nahor, because it's his city. I am a slave of Avraham, the man said. Okay, so you know how in everything, the protagonist will meet someone and tell them about all the things that have happened to them up to the point that we're at? And now usually this happens very quickly so that the reader doesn't get bored because we've been there the entire time and we know everything that's happened. That doesn't happen here because God wrote this book. Get ready to hear everything that just happened all over again. God is a bit long-winded. Jehovah blessed my master a whole freaking lot. He made him into a pretty big deal and gave him sheep, oxen, silver, gold, slaves, lady slaves, camels, and donkeys. Sarah, Abraham's woman, popped out a son for him in his old age and hers. Yeah. Abraham gave that son everything he had. My master made me swear to him that I wouldn't take a woman for his son from the daughters of Canaan, in whose land he lived. Isn't it curious he left out the whole part where he touched Abraham's dick? Go to my father's house and to my family and take a woman for my son, Abraham said to me. Perhaps the woman will not return with me, I said. Jehovah, who I will walk before, he said, will send his messengers with you and make your journey a victorious one. Yes, we know. Oh, yeah, that's the second time this messengers thing has been mentioned, but we haven't seen them at all because that's not true. 
You will take a woman from my son, from my family, and from my father's house. Then, your obligation to me will be absolved. If you go to my family, and they do not give her to you, your vow will be forgiven. Today, I reach the spring. Uh huh. Jehovah, God of my master Avraham, I said, if it is your will, let me succeed in the path I am walking upon. Right now, I am approaching a well of water. The woman who will emerge to draw water and whom I will have asked. Oh my god. <laughs> Again. I, for, yeah. No, go on. No, I mean, there's this long grammatical thing, but I don't even want to get into it. Basically, right now, we're in a very confusing place. The Hebrew word uh, is... The word used in Hebrew for what I'm translating as to whom I will have asked is ve'amarti, which translates directly as I said. Right now, the manservant without a name is telling whoever brought him food about something that happened in the past. But within the story he's telling, he's describing a future scenario to Jehovah in the past tense, which he will use as an omen to find the right woman to kidnap and take back to his owner's son. It's weird that the text uses normal past tense when pretty much any Anything else would have been appropriate. I'm using future perfect here because it seems to capture the true dialogue best, and because it's fun to say future perfect. For a small sip of water, and you will have said to me that there's water for me, and will draw more for my camels, will be the one Jehovah has chosen to be taken back to my master's son. I had barely finished talking to. Rivka came out with a pitcher on her shoulder and descended from the spring to draw water. Please give me a sip, I said. She took her pitcher down. Drink, she said, and I will get water for your camels. I drank, and the camels were also sated. Whose daughter, I asked. I am the daughter of Batuel, son of Nachar, who was carried by Milka, she said. I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists. Then, I bowed deeply to Jehovah and blessed him, the son of my master Avraham, who led me down the true path to take a brother's daughter for my master's son. Now, if you will be true and kind to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me so that I may not, so I may choose between right or left. Oh, thank God. Okay, we're done. We're back to the narrative. I think we're good, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> This has come from Yehovah, Batuel and Lavan said. We cannot say whether it is good or bad. That's very Buddhist of Batuel and Lavan. <laughs> Rivka is in front of you. Take her and go. She will be made the woman of your master's son, as Yehovah has decided. Um, does Rivka get to decide? No. When Avraham slaves heard this, he fell to the ground and bowed to Yehovah. He took out silver and gold utensils and clothes and gave them to Rivka. The slave gave presents to her brother and mother. They never unwrapped the presents. One of the greatest mysteries of the Bible is what these presents were. <laughs> Scholars a, have argued for years. It was an immersion blender. Yes. Avraham's slave and the men with him ate, drank, and slept. When they got up in the morning, they announced that they were returning to their master. Let the young woman stay with us for a day or ten, her brother and mother said. Hold on, a day or ten? Yeah. Okay. After that, she will go. Don't make me late, the slave said. Jehovah will make me successful on my path. Send me on my way so I may return to my master. Let us call the maiden, they said, and we'll see what she wants. Finally. Shouldn't we have asked her yesterday, I think? They called for Rivka. Want to leave forever with this guy you just met the ass? I'll go, Rivka said. 
There was a big send-off for Rivka, her nurse, Avraham's slave, and his men. Our sister, they blessed Rivka, you shall become thousands of myriads. Your descendants shall inherit the wealth of their enemies. Rivka and her handmaidens rose to ride their camels following the man. Wait, wait, wait. If Rivka had handmaidens, uh, why is she going to the well herself to draw water? The slave took Rivka and left. And that's chapter 11. I think we have time for one more. Do you think we have time for one more chapter? I could do one more. Okay, let's do one more chapter. This is chapter, yeah. This is chapter 12, in which Yitzchak meets, uh, in which Yitzchak meets Rivka. Yitzchak had just returned from hanging out near Be'er Lachai Roy and was living in the Negev. Back in the day, all dudes would hang out in Be'er Lachai Roy before meeting the strange women their slaves had brought for them as life partners. <laughs> you know what they say, what happens in Be'er Lachai Roy stays in Be'er Lachai Roy. <laughs> he walked out to the field to meditate before evening. Yitzchak is pretty cool, I think, meditating in the evening before hang, meeting his future woman. This verse, by the way, is one of the scriptural bases for Mincha, the afternoon prayer that Jews do every single day. I'm really glad I can legitimately translate this word as meditate, though, because I think Judaism would be much cooler if it involved daily pre-sunset meditations. When he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rivka lifted her gaze and saw Yitzchak. She immediately jumped down from the camel. Who is that man, she asked the slave, who is walking through the fields to greet us? Because he is dreamy. That is my master, the slave said. Wouldn't that imply the man is Abraham, not Yitzhak? Whatever, it doesn't, you know. The young master. The young master, my young master. Rivka took her scarf and covered herself. The slave told Yitzhak all the things he had done. See, see, this is what I was talking about in the last chapter. All the things that had happened up to this point. Learn from your mistakes, Bible. <laughs> it looks like they do. They don't seem yeah, to count. Yeah, good they... job, good job. Then Yitzhak took Rivka into the tent of Sarah, his mother and made her his woman. So there's no way this is marriage, by the way. They clearly just went into a tent and fucked and then she was his woman. There's no rabbi, there's no clergy, there's no vows, there's nothing. They went into the mom's tent and that's it. Yitzhak loved her and she comforted him that's, after yeah. his mother. So this verse is actually the first use of the Hebrew word for love in the Bible in the context of Yitzhak being comforted after his mother's death, which is very Freudian and wonderful. But that's chapter 12. There's a, big, there's a big pile of papers on the floor that I've been making here. Thank you so much for reading with us, Jed. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. No problem. Whoa, we can't end yet. We didn't do the Devar Torah. Mostly because we were about to lose the room. But still, we didn't do it. Typically... Devar Torah is a sermon, but the phrase literally means book word. Each month on Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible, everything read is distilled down to one word. My book word for episode 9 is ladies, and the short thrift they get in this episode. First, Sarah dies, and apparently the most important thing about it is how much Avraham pays for her burial plot. Then, Rivka is chosen by a slave to be Yitzchak's permanent partner, seemingly without her consent, or she gives her consent after the fact. Neither of these characters has much agency, though there might be some just under the surface in Sarah's story, but that's a reading that goes against the grain of the text. Her being so far from Avraham suggests she was away from her men, living her own life, and had been doing so for some time, which I find a little bit interesting. 
before we go, I was just wondering if you wanted to tell our audience about anything that you're up to, anything that you're doing. And you can go, because now that I don't know what's going to happen in each episode, I can't prepare the next month on the Bible thing beforehand. So while you talk, I'm going to write that down, if that's cool. Absolutely. Cool. I don't have that much to say. Um, I have several ongoing musical projects. Uh, one is a band called Cash Miracle. You can probably find on the internet somewhere. Um, I've been writing for Good Magazine, and again, my name is Jed Olbaum, O-E-L-B-A-U-M. Where can we find you on the internet, if at all? Do you do social media? Not really. Okay. So, yeah! Um, as always, you can find Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible on Facebook at facebook.com slash omgbible, on Twitter at omgwtfbible, Tumblr, omgwtfbible.tumblr.com, and the website, omgwtfbible.com. You can listen to us on Stitcher, iTunes, any way that you listen to podcasts in general. There's an RSS feed. Um, and as always, please share spread the word for this podcast, build up our audience, uh, get the crowd at our live shows even bigger. Please come to our live shows because that's what makes this show happen, the audience at our live shows. Without it, it would really lose a lot of the verve. And please write a review on iTunes. Um, it's really easy. It takes a few minutes. A good one? A good one, please. If you like the show, write a review on iTunes. If you don't like the show, go away. Um, there was a review in the past month that made me weep a little. It was really sweet. So thank you. Uh, Catcher50 was the name. Thank you for that review. I loved it. And I want to hear what other people think. You can email me at omgdfbible at gmail.com also. A few things that I'm doing in the coming months. Um, I'm going to be in a podcast called Surge um, that's produced by my very own audio and engineer, John Passaro, who's here right now. Um, the first episode comes out on July 1st. Uh, in it, it, it surges... Uh uh, funny to describe, it's, it's basically just audio. It's words set to music. And it can be anything, it can mean anything. I'm going to be talking about a professor that I had while I was at Hunter and the effect that he had on my life and uh, some of his works and what he wrote about. That comes out July 1st. Also, No Jokes Allowed, the stand-up show that I created is at uh, Beauty Bar on July 8th. That's the Beauty Bar in Manhattan. Um, and I've been working on a comedy album very slowly. I've been trying to edit it. I said it would come out on June 24th. It's going to come out in the end of July because it's, it's been tough to actually get work on it. Um, anyway, I have a lot of people I want to thank. I want to thank Double Wide and the management here for letting me put on the show here. They had very short notice when I couldn't do it at the Parkside Lounge, so thank you so much. Let's hear it for them. Uh, that's Kristen... Norm Bard, you've been very helpful. Uh, I want to thank Wendy Chin for creating the poster this month. Our audio engineer, John Passaro, who's right there. Let's give it up for him. Our listeners and our live audience right here. Give it up for yourself. And please join us for episode 10, the live show. I don't know where it's going to be, but it's going to be somewhere on July 22nd, hitting the internet on July 29th. Because next month, in the Bible... Rivka has some freaking kids.